I told, I told Jules that this today's episode would be a tight 20 minutes. Why did you lie? <laughs> Why did you lie? <laughs> Welcome to The Writer and the Critic, a monthly podcast devoted mostly to books, reviews, and whatever else takes our fancy. I'd like to introduce you to cranky co-host, Kirsten McDermott. <laughs> so cranky. And I am less cranky co- uh, host, Ian Mond. Hello, listeners. Uh, uh, yeah, other than that, how are you feeling, Kirsten? <laughs> I guess I'm okay. <laughs> oh, I need a holiday. I have a cold sore. I can't remember the last time I had a cold sore, maybe pre-COVID. Um, and that's, uh, that's a really good indication to me that my body is telling me to just sit the fuck down for a while. <laughs> Why are you so busy, Kirsten? I don't know. I'm just trying to do too many things. So um, I'm actually going to Darwin next Thursday for a family wedding. And because it's all the way in Darwin, um, we decided just to go for a week and have a bit of a holiday. And I think it's, you know, you know, it takes nearly a day to get to you know, it takes nearly a yeah, day I to know. get to Darwin. I know, I know, Ian. I know. I do know. I booked Can I, I want to explain something to you, Kirsten? It takes nearly a day to get to Darwin. I just want to explain <sighs> that to you. Thank you for There's a word for that in, in, in current lingo when a man explains something. That yeah, there might be. It doesn't, it's not really coming to me, but I'm sure it will at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you take that break. You enjoy. Um, man, and I just looked at the damn weather because mm-hmm. – like naive me just thought, you know, could you hear? Oh no, May, May's the good season to go. Um well the weather is still thirty-five fucking degrees and hundred and fifty percent humidity. So I'm not happy. Do the, does Darwin not is Darwin not aware of both uh, autumn and winter? No, no, it is not aware of autumn and winter. Darwin has the wet season and the dry season. Not really. They're they're, they're like other seasonal changes in there but primarily it's the wet season and the dry season but it's also just holy fucking shit it's hot and humid all year round you know what would have been good if the wedding had been in south australia because then we could segue to our first book okay well you can try to force that segue if you want um because because the, the logical thing would be to say what i've been doing and frankly aside from getting my flu vaccination you I've got done COVID. Nothing. That's exciting. You got COVID. Come on. I don't have COVID. You had COVID. Oh, no, I you didn't. didn't. Your son had COVID. The house your son and had your wife COVID. had COVID. I didn't. I avoided how it. Did, it was like I was getting shot at. On, I don't know. Avoid it. it's, it's actually impossible. Uh, I know. The, the laws of physics indicate that I should have got it because I know. They were literally, I, I live in a small place and they were on both sides and it just should have happened. But it didn't. Right. I didn't. How? That's that's. I just don't understand how you managed to avoid it. But well done, you. Well done. Well, for the moment. So um, yeah, for the moment, I've avoided it. For that's the how moment. I was my daughter. <laughs> well, I don't know. Every time I get onto, I don't know about you. Every time I get onto Facebook, because I still use Facebook, uh, mm. another friend has COVID. It's just a. It's just the dominoes are falling at a rapid rate now. Yeah. Uh, you and I are now the are you because you, you haven't had it either, have you? No, Jason and I have managed to avoid COVID. So we're becoming slowly but surely we're becoming the unicorns here. 
Uh, to be honest, I don't know how I've managed to avoid it. I have a, a, a friend here in Ballarat who's been super careful, like masks everywhere. Um, you know, she, she's just been super careful. I've, I've, Jason and I have been cautious. I wouldn't say we've been like hyper vigilant. Um, you know, like I don't even wear a mask into the supermarket all the time if I'm just going in there quickly, that sort of thing. Um, and yet she got COVID this week. And it's like, how the hell did she get COVID? How I know did she she's... get it? She doesn't know. Because <laughs> she's... she's really super vigilant. Like, it's just, so I don't know how I've managed to avoid it. Because, Like, as I said, I've been cautious, but I have not been, like, hyper, hyper careful. But I'm sure it's just a matter of time. I'm not looking forward to it. Vaccines not be around a hell of a lot. I imagine the actual disease will put me on my ass for a week <laughs> and maybe more. I mean, I've seen it firsthand, so I know exactly how it interacts with uh, with fa- with family members. It's it's three days of uh, awfulness, and then it slowly gets better. But then it, you'll you'll hear people; it'll vary. Anyway, let's not. You know what? I don't. I can't believe I brought COVID up because I'm so I, a bit I like everyone else. Up, this is, I apologise. This is the tragedy that 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 I am over it, and we shouldn't be. We have to be vigilant. But but frankly, like I say, I feel like I'm, we're becoming unicorns now, in amongst. Yeah. Uh, those who have or haven't had, had it. Now, this is not even a. This is an even shittier segue to the. <laughs> well, we got so we're doing two books, obviously. We are. The, if you've never heard this podcast before, uh, the first books. is Devotion by Hannah Kent, and then we'll do The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. So yeah. our first book is Devotion. It is not about COVID. It is not. <laughs> it, it is about be. Lutherans, though. <laughs> it is about Lutherans, Kirsten, and you chose it, Kirsten. I don't so, know why you're saying it like that. It's a uh, lesbian love story with Lutherans. Would that be a decent description? It would not oh. be a decent description, no, but it would not terrible, also be entirely wrong. Untrue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. I didn't hate it. I just want to say I did not hate this book. Actually, I quite liked it, but I have issues with it. But let's talk about it. So first I might read the back cover copy for this book and I will say to listeners, we are going to spoil this book badly. Oh, yeah. Badly. In fact, I'm, so, in fact I'm essentially the very last page uh, to, to that degree. Yeah. So if you haven't read Devotion and you want to read it spoiler-free, um, seriously, do not listen to the next half hour or whatever. I will put the time code for when we start to talk about the School for Good Mothers in the show notes, so you can skip forward and listen to that. It won't be half an hour of discussion. Because <laughs> we are really, really um, going to spoil major, major plot points in this book that every review I came across bent over backwards to avoid. Really? But, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And flagged. Like they, they said, that we, do you like our acrobatics we're performing to avoid to revealing these major things in this book? We're sorry, but we really do need to avoid these things. <laughs> it's really funny, actually. Um, okay, back cover copy for Devotion by Hannah Kent. Prussia, 1836. Hannah Nussbaum is a child of nature. She would rather run wild in the forests and conform to the limitations of womanhood. In her village of Kay, Hannah is friendless and considered an oddity until she meets Thea. Ocean, 1838. The Nussbaums are old Lutherans, bound by God's law and at odds with their king's order for reform. 
Forced to flee religious persecution, the families of Kay board a crowded, disease-riddled ship bound for the new colony of South Australia. In the face of brutal hardship, the beauty of whale song enters Hannah's heart, along with the miracle of her love for Thea. Theirs is a bond that nothing can break. South Australia, 1838. A new start in an old land. God, society and nature itself decree Hannah and Thea cannot be together, but within the impossible is devotion. And it's probably Thea because um, of the Germanic pronunciation, but I was reading it as Thea in my head all along. So the good, I really found fascinating. Uh, the whole, So I wasn't because, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but I'm Jewish. I don't think I've I don't think really? Oh, wow. That explains so much. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so all the uh, internecine uh, issues with uh, the Protestant church is not something mm. that I'm uh, fully fledged on. So I wasn't aware uh, that uh, Frederick William III of Prussia merged uh, the Lutheran and Reformed churches together to create a united mm. church, which for some was fine, but for the diehard Lutherans, it was a uh, abomination and they said no thanks and then for the two decades three decades longer after that they were persecuted um not so wasn't it look I, I can't rely entirely on devotion as my historical record but please, but please don't <laughs> certainly jail time you know beatings that sort yeah, of stuff i'm not sure it was to the high pogrom level, maybe it was, I may be wrong, where people were literally slaughtered. There was death, people died, but not, not, yeah, there was, there, there was really just persecution. Confiscation of assets. Yeah, that stuff. Confiscation yeah. of assets and land, that sort of thing, yeah. So, so, so Hannah and her community, Lutheran community live in this, uh, you know, live out, out and about. They were, they were reasonably far away from town. Um, people know around them that they are, uh, a Lutheran community that they have people come visit mm. from time to time, but I never got the impression that they were being hounded every single day. I don't know. Maybe did you? Did that... No, 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 not this particular community though. They had lost their, um, their priest. Yes. Yes. And he, and he, he's the one who essentially runs away to uh, Australia, specifically South Australia. And, uh, and he then gets them to, and then there's an agreement for, for them to leave, for the for this community mm. to leave and to head to South Australia. And this is actually a thing. This is what happened in the yep. 1840s yep. in South Australia, something, again, I was not aware of at all. Uh, that, uh, That's why there's a, a lot of Germanic, um, Germanic things in, in South Australia in the hills. Is that why they say chance instead of chance? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I've I've been to South Australia like twice, so three times. So I've not visited the Germanic Hills mm. of South Australia. So uh, Kirsten, please school me on this. Um, but yeah, so th- that I all found really, really interesting. And I and 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 throughout the novel, it's not just in the first part. It's it's just it's it's both that then the time on the boat, which oh my god, that's a fucking nightmare, and duh, mm. but also oh my god. <laughs> Uh, the terrible. boat the boat trip was my it was so well done probably my favorite part of the novel it is i mean like like it's scurvy and typhus way it's just it's and, really it's it's just really uh, visceral like her her Kanakent's descriptions her sensory descriptions are just amazing the 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 textures the smells the, yeah. the taste of 
food, um, like everything. It's, it's you're, you really are on that boat. You can feel it rocking. You can smell the seawater. You can, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really beautiful. It's extraordinary, right? isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I felt it nauseous. Is. I mean, because there's a lot of vomiting. Mm. Uh, <laughs> a lot of vomiting. Um, and, and, not, and not just because of – initially because they're getting their sea legs and then because mm. of the, the just the, the, the viruses and bacteria that just runs through yep. the joint. So Yeah, um, not good. Yeah, not it's, good. it's not good. Of course, And, of course, people die as a result. Um, so that's – and we'll get to we'll get, come back to that in a second. <laughs> and and then there's the, – and then again, just to finish my point, and then the stuff in South Australia is, itself, especially with the a- Aboriginal community there. And and the conflicts that are created, where, in a sense, the 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 tables have turned. The Lutheran community or this Germanic community are now the ones who are being the colonialists, uh, are, are pushing the Aboriginal community mm. out uh, and and destroying their land. And that, even though as as uh, Hannah shows both in the book and then in an afterward, it, 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 that that community, that Aboriginal com- Indigenous community, probably saved the lives. Uh, of these uh, of these first uh, colonists, um, so yeah. because they didn't have food, and, and that that's right, and that behaviour is, is documented throughout the the history of colonial Australia, um, and we can only wonder when that history has been written by the colonialists, colonialists, colonists, both actually. How under exaggerated that may be, but there's many many documented cases of people being essentially saved from death or starvation or both um, by Indigenous communities who who brought them food or showed them where to find food or, or showed them other things about how to live in this, to them, very strange and inhospitable land. And if it had been a purely historical novel, I think I would have loved Devotion by Hannah Kent. <laughs> yep, yep, I, I would agree with you there. I I liked it up until, I guess, a little bit a little bit past that midpoint. And we're just going to say it. So if you're still listening, this is your last chance to abandon ship, pardon the pun, um, because we are, as I said there, the, the thing that happens, so as the back cover copy sort of hinted at, uh, you know, Hannah and Taya can't, they're not going to be together. And you're, you're reading this book. I don't know about you, Ian, but you're reading this book, um, you know, the framework set up, and I hadn't even read the back cover no, neither had point. I. Neither had I. But but you also know where it's going, and you know that in you know in eighteen thirty eight, um, these two women who young young women um, teenagers uh, who have fallen in love with each other are not going to be able to set up house together um, in a new land in a very Correct. small Lutheran community. That is just not going to happen. So you, you know you know that. So you kind of get the feel for where the book is going. This is going to be a book of estranged lovers who who have to, you know, somehow connect with each other despite their circumstances. Um, you know, whether that's going to be they most likely get married to two men and, and have their own households and so on. So you kind of know where it's going. And then in the middle of this book, in the middle of the ocean voyage, Hannah dies. She actually dies. Oh, and we should say devotion is written in the first person. It is a narrative being told by Hannah from page one. But she 100% dies. I think it took me a couple of pages to realise she was actually dead and it wasn't a metaphor and it wasn't a fever dream. She is dead. She's dead. She's dead. She is dead. And it was like, holy shit. Hannah Kent does something really clever there. I pay her for this. That the same discombobulation we have, Hannah has. Hannah has. She she 
she doesn't understand she's dead and she's essentially a ghost. The G word I don't think is ever used in the whole book, but she's essentially a ghost. Yes, a ghost, but we we were also a bit confused. Wait, wait. Is she actually dead? Yeah. Yeah. And then the, now we 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 clue in quicker than than Hannah does, to be fair. But yeah. uh, as a reader, but still, that it is actually really that actually I thought was really well done. That that, yeah. that that same sense of bewilderment is both in the reader and in the main character. Yeah, it, it is really well done. I agree. Um, and as I said, it took me a couple of pages to realize she no she she is no she's actually dead. She's definitely dead. People can't see her. She's things are passing through. She's dead. She's a ghost. We have a ghost now. Um, and that was. I, I will say my as much as I was enjoying Hannah Kent's prose and oh my goodness her her prose work is beautiful. I think in this book at times a bit overwrought and a bit edging into too much into the sentimental for my taste. Um, that won't be everyone's experience of it, but but just beautiful. She she crafts these exquisite sentences. She finds very often the perfect metaphor for what she's talking about. As I said before, she uses the, you know, sensory evocation to an amazing extent. You really feel you're in the forest in Prussia. You feel you're on the ship. Like it's just beautiful. And Hannah is, uh, she has, I think she's meant to have synesthesia. So she will, you know, hear colours and taste smells and all that sort of stuff. From a first person narrative, it didn't, it, that didn't seem to be embedded as much as it should have been. Um, you, you get references to it. I, f- I actually forgot. Throughout. I actually forgot. Yeah. That she because it's they're in the early part, and then very later in the novel, there's talk about it when she's dead. Yeah. The other characters are talking about how yeah. they remembered, you know, quirky Hannah knowing where yeah. water was because she could hear it or, 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 or yeah, hear it essentially. So yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it does get lost. And I felt I felt for a first person narrative. If this is the way she has and always has seen the world, there would be more of that in the description. Yes, and and there, yeah, and there wasn't. So that was that was a disappointing thing because if you're going to go go that route, do it. Go all the way. Have a character talking about how you know what what the smell of a sound is and what you know all of that stuff. Do it. Um, and I, I don't think I think that could have kind of been left out. You wouldn't really have noticed. But for all of that. I, I was, my attention was beginning to wane a little bit towards that middle point because I could, I thought I could kind of see where it was going and yes, it was beautifully written and nice, but it's like, oh, okay, well, let's, let's keep going. And then the character dies, the narrator dies. And that was just, snapped me back to the book. I was so invested from that point about what is going to happen now. How, you know, this is amazing. And and also the book is told in in retrospect, right? So Hannah is is crafting a narrative. She is telling this story from the end, almost from the end, not quite from the end, but from a point near the end of the story. So she is telling it all. What happened? How? What has brought me to this point? Right. Um, so we know that from the beginning of the book, she's been dead, and she knows she's dead, and she's telling you this story about how her life and afterlife has gone. And so it was like, it was amazing. I thought it was an incredibly brave and risky thing to do as an author. Um, and as I said, I was 100% invested again, like immediately. But unfortunately, that investment didn't last for long. <laughs> and it didn't, it, it, it's, I struggled with it because, so partly she spends the rest of the novel floating between her family and Taya's literally, family. Literally floating. Yeah, literally, literally, yeah. There's a little bit where she floats beyond the confines of, the, of her of her of her community, but mostly that's where she's 
she's limited. And while there were some really nice moments around her possessing a few pigs as they're being slaughtered, and this this mm. actually and so stops people the, the pigs fearing the the slaughter, but she sorts of, she possesses them during the but period, also during doing that it doing it because she longs for physical touch. But also, so Taya doesn't have to hear Taya doesn't have to hear the pigs being slaughtered. It's actually an an act of devotion of love to, to Taya. It's, it's it's wonderful. It's yeah. lovely. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Terrific. But apart from that sort of thing, basically she's just pining for the, for, for 200 pages and she's miserable yeah. and she's upset and you just want to go, oh, for fuck's sakes. I mean, this was never going to work out whether you were alive or dead. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Hannah, you, this was never happening. Okay? Now, I know it's a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. But blame Hannah Kent for setting the story in 1836. That's, that's who you should be blaming. <laughs> Why are you blaming us, the readers? Yeah. I, I just – it, Am I being cruel, Kirsten? No, it did. It felt that it went on. It just went on too long, and there was no real change. And and okay, you can make a, phys- a philosophical argument or not about whether, if if we say ghosts are real, about whether someone who is dead can change. They probably can't. They're, they're probably stuck in whatever. Except you know the the voice that she has at the beginning. It, it is a a voice that is is reflecting. And making sense, so uh, I, I think Hannah has changed as a from a person to a ghost, and even as a ghost, she has thought about things and considered things, and she has grown as a as a ghost person, if you can say that. Um, but yeah, it was just. I think what I felt, I felt, I felt uh, an escalated or enhanced version of the dislocation that Hannah felt, right, when she's after she's died and she's no longer yep. physically in the world but she's still tied to the world. So she, she is dislocated and um, and I felt that as a reader because I didn't – she's dead now. Like she's a ghost now. Like nothing can actually harm her anymore. And there's certainly no indication in the book that anything can harm her. She's not – she never feels that she's in danger, for example, of just evaporating and not existing anymore. You know, she the, there's no real investment in in her in in her stakes, um, and that bit at the end where she kind of possesses Taya's husband um, was really interesting. But for me, came, it came too late. It came too late. The the idea, like the the intentions behind that, the consequences of that, and what that might mean for Hannah and Taya's relationship um, and a true consummation of of, of their marriage of their, marriage, their love yeah of the of both the marriage and the love and then of course and this is the final major spoiler mm-hmm. taya also dies yeah um and, and then, then they're they reunited be, hey and, lovely and then they can be reunited and be together again and i just i just said oh well that's great yeah so yeah um what i th- what i thought that's, was really interesting that's that, that i found that. i just found that really just just not good I, I, that's... I found it really twee. And I also found it – so Hannah Kent has, has done interviews where she's talked about um, – she's written this book. She's explicitly said she wrote Devotion as a love letter to her wife. Uh, and when she first started or when she first started to think about Devotion, I don't know how far along in the drafting process she was, it was going to be a story that focused on female friendship and then um, the the marriage plebiscite, in a, the gay marriage plebiscite in Australia happened in 2018 and that 
I guess, put a spark in her to shift the focus to one about, you know, queer love and queer relationships. And, but, you know, and she says she's, she's written devotion as, as a love letter to her wife. And you can certainly, you can see that in the language and the, the expression of love and desire that, that Hannah has for Taya. And that's all fine. And she's also said that she wanted to write this book as um, sort of an antidote or, or the, you know, the anti-queer text to the, all those ones where being queer is miserable and, and badly. And Oh, my um, God, yeah. really? I, I know. And I'm reading this thinking, but that's what you've done. I mean, you've, you've given the ecstasies of love and all of that and you, you've, you've, you've built this beautiful relationship between these two women who do love each other and can't be together. But, but they can't be together and they can only be together when they die. That's Hannah not, is miserable until literally the last page. Yeah. Because she can't be with Tia, um, yeah. But but that's it. It's like the like the framework of this story is, and yes, it is set in eighteen thirty eight. So of course, but the framework is well, they only get you know the, these two women who are in love only get to be together when they die. Um, and for me, that was that was not enough. It was not solace enough. It was not um, it was not satisfactory enough as a narrative for me. It really, really wasn't. I was quite disappointed by where this novel ended up um and I should say that that end bit is is like a coda and Hannah who's telling the narrative doesn't know that that's going to happen at the time at the beginning when when she begins to tell her narrative to us Tia is still alive so that's an end bit which where where Hannah who's telling the story catches up with real time and then Tia dies and they're together so yes the you know she's not telling this story at a point when when Tia is dead and they're together and everything is fine she's still telling it from the point where they're separated she's dead Tia is alive and in a marriage they you know she, they can't be together um and and yeah and and it also you know like Tia dies relatively young and she dies horribly um yeah, she's bitten by a snake. Is, that is and, not a good way to die. And you know the there's stuff we haven't talked about, like the the thread of witchcraft or quasi witchcraft that kind of runs through the the, the books, the six and seven books of Moses, which I'd not heard of, but are <laughs> I'm certain you've heard of it. Uh, only the, in the most vaguest sense, in that it rang a very distant bell when I read it. Um, but but the, that's the thing. It, it's like. Um, we don't. The book is ambivalent about whether or not uh, Tia's mother is actually practicing a kind of witchcraft, um, which may or may not be satanic in nature, um, as per the framework of the book, and that's never really resolved. Even though, I mean, he, here's the thing which kind of nagged at me the whole time: Hannah is has died, and she hasn't gone to any kind of heaven, and she can't see anyone else who's dead. There's some. You know, she she wonders at, at one stage whether, uh, like, the ghosts are everywhere. They just can't see each other. They can only see the people they're connected to or were connected to in life. Um, she she knows there's no God and no devil. She knows this, you know. So And, and then the book, you, so through the book you know this. So then in retrospect as a reader you can think about that whole witchcraft line and, and, and put it back into a very, I guess, secular world with ghosts. <laughs> But secularizing without, you know, God and the devil that the Lutherans believe in. Um, certainly that does not seem to be true, at least for Hannah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe she's isolated and there is a God and a devil and a heaven and she hasn't got there yet because she's so connected to Taya. Who knows? Um, these are all things that the book makes you think about, which is great. But that's, 
in, in some sense, that's the problem. Taya dies young. She dies as a young mother, leaving an orphan child behind, a child who is framed in the book as belonging to Hannah as well because of the way it was conceived. It, the child was yes, conceived, correct, yep. Right. Um, yep. So these two young women who've died young and died tragically and now get to be together um, at, at the cost of abandoning their child in the world. And, and that's the only way queer love can come to a happy resolution. I just, I, it, I bridled at that really badly. I, I, and there was no real acknowledgement of the loss of the child who you would think, even if Hannah herself is maybe somewhat disconnected from this child, Taya wouldn't be. Surely she would be mourning the loss of her child, who now she's in the same position as Hannah has been for the entire book, where she Correct. Will be she now has to watch her child grow to up. To this infant yep. that she can no longer hold and touch and kiss and advise and guide as a mother. That is awful. And there's no acknowledgement of that in the book. The only the only thing is like, what a wonderful thing this is that they can finally be together. I think if there was no child, I might be well, that part of my dissatisfaction would obviously be excised. I would still not find the the happiness after death thing being a satisfactory ending, but I wouldn't have this this niggling thing about but but your child that you've not mentioned again. Um, I just yeah that that really grated at me, and I'm not a mother. I don't have children, but that really grated at me because I'm sure Taya would be would miss her son. And terrible. and miss her mother. They have a very strong bond in the novel. Yeah. Taya's mother. Uh, mm. they, they have a really strong bond. And and and, and another thing is that her, her husband Hans, I think, is not a cruel man. He's he's actually a lovely person. And and while they're yeah. clearly, you know, they're not. She's not. Taya. Well, she feels compelled that she has to marry him, but it's not a cruel or, or sad marriage. And and clearly, they're they're friends. They're really good friends. And so mm. there's that relationship. That she now has to experience from afar, and 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 it yeah. sort of it invites the question that I found a bit distressing that if Taya Snake aside had it been told, oh look, if I kill you now, you won't have these guys, but you you'll get to be with Hannah for the rest of your eternity. Would, whatever. would she have would said yes? It? Would she have said yes? Mm, would she? Maybe the the but, book. I would kind of think she probably would have, which is sad to me. Which that's sad, I, I, isn't it? I really, that is sad. I really, I mean, yeah. And look, I am, you know, I am an atheist. Okay, I, I think when we we die, we we go into the ground, and our bodies decompose, and our atoms become part of the world again. And I think that is a, a wonderful thing, and is about as close to the sacred as I I get. But I mean that sincerely. Um, it is a very sacred concept to me. The idea of you know going back. So I guess I will always have an innate pushback against a narrative which which <laughs> takes the very conservative, um, you know, faith idea that, well, doesn't matter how but, bad the world gets, everything will be okay after we all die. After you die, yeah. And it's, I it's, push it's, back it, against that so hard, so hard. Yeah, it is a, it is a um, yeah, I mean, I'm on the same view. It is a, it, yeah. There's a lot of people over history who have died and killed others to, to, to realise that 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 concept. And while I know that's not what Hannah Kent is driving at, it does leave that comes, bit of it, taste. It comes out at the same place. It comes out at the same place at the end. Because, again, like I said, the question that's asked, mm. would Taya have taken the option to die? 
to, 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 yeah. to kill herself just to be with Hannah if, if the snake wasn't an option, and, uh, if the snake hadn't occurred, and, and if, if she knew that that was a reality. Her. Correct. And that, that's not that's not a good question to be asking, I think, at the end of a, this a, a novel that's really, as you said, meant to be about the antidote to the miserable queer love story or yeah, queer it, It's meant to be. And, and it is a celebration of this love, but at what cost? Well, only at a distance, <laughs> but only at a distance, though. Yeah. Because because part of the problem is that Taya doesn't know when when uh, when Hannah possesses the pigs, for example. Taya doesn't know that that's a devotion for her. She doesn't no. know. She doesn't know any of that stuff. So so it's only at a distance this this celebration. It's it's um, Hannah's devotion to to Taya, and then I guess you get the indication that that Taya's never given up on her. Like her love is yeah. And this is this is well. and I think the word twee is really good. There's this twee thing where she talks to Hannah at night. And mm. she, uh, her mother tells her, you know, you should talk to her. But, I mean, it's they're not actually conversing. There isn't an actual conversation going on here. So, again, it just feels all very, I don't know. I don't, I've, I've said my bit. I, I just, I think, it's, <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. It is, a, it is a gorgeously written novel. It really is. And I think if it had been a pure historical, because I think that the actual historical elements are fascinating. I didn't know any of this stuff. Yeah. And, I, and I feel a bit ashamed that I didn't. Um, and now I do, and I read about it, and I read around it, and especially the the conflicts with the Aboriginal community, the, the Indigenous people in the, in the area. I think you know uh, she actually could have made more of that. She it's there. Yeah. It's not, she doesn't she doesn't swipe it away. She's absolutely there, but there's actually more that could have been made of that as well. Um, and it's it's hard for her to make more of that when her narrator's not in the world. I correct. Think it would have been like like correct. Hannah Kent researches really well. I've read The Good People. I haven't read Burial Rights, but I still want to. Um, and her research and historical writing is top notch. She really she understands the world. She puts you in the world with all its limitations and its wonder. And if Hannah had not died, if Hannah had gotten to South Australia as well and the story had been as I kind of expected it to be about these two women who loved each other but built separate but connected lives and found a way to love each other and it could have been wonderful because like we've said Taya doesn't marry a, a man who's horrible she marries a man who in fact understands this love right and I think, you know, it, it could have been, you know, maybe Hannah would have remained a, a spinster as the word would have been at the time um, or maybe she would have, would have gotten married. Maybe, you know, there would have been ways for the narrative to to work to show these women who could not be together visibly, publicly in their community still finding a way to love each other and, and be together in some sense that, that wasn't about pining and yearning and and how awful it is that they can't be together they could have found a way that was still within the bounds of historical realism and that for me at least would have been a much more satisfying story and then I think we would have had a much more resonant colonial world too because Hannah would have been there you know she she disappears for like years at a a time because she can't (laughs) stand it anymore and, and they're glossed over really really quickly um but, yeah, so I think that's, for me, that was the problem. As much as I was so utterly impressed with her dying in the middle of this book and what would happen then, I, I, was, I was not impressed by what did happen then. <laughs> and that's so this. So I'm going to do it. This is a brilliant segue into our next book. It really is, and I'll explain why. So the next book is A School for Good Mothers, uh, which uh, I 
I chose by Jessica mm-hmm. Chan. And why this is a good thing is because both these novels have a genre element that comes, in my view, out of left field that discombobulate you, but mm-hmm. one doesn't entirely pull it off and the other one I actually don't know how but does. And with the Jessamine Chan, it's the introduction of these artificial children. A technology – so, so the, just to be – so Let's, let's, let's I'll, go I'll, back I'll, a step or two and talk about yes, what the novel's about. <laughs> yes, but, but the blue goo. The blue goo. I just, blue goo. just keep that in mind. Keep the blue goo in mind. All right, so <laughs> let me just read it. All right. Uh, the back cover, I'm doing this off Goodreads. Um, in this taut and explosive debut novel, one lapse in judgment lands a young mother in a government reform program where custody of her child hangs in the balance. Frida Lu is struggling. She doesn't have a career worthy of her Chinese immigrant parents' sacrifices. What's worse is she can't persuade her husband, Gust, to give up his wellness-obsessed young mistress. Only with their angelic angelic daughter, Harriet, does Frida finally feel she's attained the perfection expected of her. Harriet may be all she has, but she's just enough, until Frida has a horrible day. The state has its eyes on mothers like Frida, ones who check their phones while their kids are on the playground, who let their children walk home alone, In other words, mothers who only have one lapse of judgment. Now, a host of government officials. This is a terrible blurb. Now, a a host of government officials. This is this is this is a mockery of the of what is a great book. Now, a host of government officials will determine if Frida is a candidate for a Big Brother-like institution that measures the success or failure of a mother's devotion. Faced with the possibility of losing Harriet, Frida must prove that she can live up to the standards set for her mothers, that she can learn to be good. This propulsive, witty page turner. Okay. explores the perils of perfect upper-middle-class parenting, the violence enacted upon women by the state and each other, and the balance. I'm like, okay, I'm stopping. That is the I, one of the words. I'm sorry. I'm, Jessamine, if you wrote that, I apologise. I don't think it does explore the perils of upper-middle-class No, I in mean, fact, that's... it deliberately doesn't do that. <laughs> in fact, that was one of my worries with the book, that it would be this uh, woe-is-me yeah. upper-middle-class horror story mm. about losing a child. But, it, but but one thing Jess which it, which it is, but it's so much more than that. And it's no, no, it starts that way. And in fact, the first third of it, first half, you could argue, is that, and then it becomes something far darker and far more cast ag- well, class agnostic in a sense, in that this mm. is affecting all levels of class. Uh, you know, poor, rich, whatever. That, but anyway, that is a terrible back cover copy, and should be forgotten. And <laughs> but it gives you the gist of what the book's about. Yes. Uh, by the way, the other thing is this lapse of judgment. So let's be clear what Frida does. And I say this here because while, yes, it's it, it, parents always make mistakes. I have made multiple mistakes with my own children. This one is a pretty big mistake, which is that yeah. she lives her she leaves her child on. So she's working for a as a, for a company uh, where she edits um, academic work. I think she's actually yeah. at a university, from memory, uh, and she's editing academic work. And her her, her professors are hard taskmasters with really strict deadlines, and it's 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 driving her potty. Basically. And they've and they've Edi- reluctantly let her work from home a couple of days while she has her daughter. But you know, there's always the threat that's hanging over her that if she messes up, they'll tell her she has to come back into the office. And then how does she do childcare for correct her daughter? So that's hanging over. So I get all that, and that's perfectly. So anyway, she she leaves either a laptop or the, her notes at work, and so ra- rather than get uh, someone to care for Harriet, she just leaves her in the house alone and goes off. But it's not just that she goes off and gets the stuff; she stays at work for a good hour 
it, but what's what's really interesting though is that's I mean yes that's what happens but it's also not what happened. What happened was she was going to go down and get a cup of coffee. She just wanted a coffee from the shop downstairs. She was going to be five minutes. She left the baby in the baby bouncer thing while she went down to get a coffee. Then when she had a coffee, she remembered this thing she had to get. She was, well, if I just go to work and just pick up this thing, I'll just pick up this thing, no problem. And then when she got to work, she turned on the computer and there was an email, I'll just answer this. So it's she didn't sit at home go, I'm just going to go out for two and a half hours and leave the baby alone. No, 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 no. There were incremental, incremental little steps, none of which were a good decision. All of which were a bad decision, apart maybe from the initial one of just grabbing coffee for five minutes. Um, but there were all these incremental decisions which led to her leaving her baby alone. And it was only for that amount of time because the neighbours called in the police. Otherwise, you know, who knows? She might have been there all day as Frida yes, got caught exactly. up in, in work. Correct. And look, so... The reason I raise that isn't to castigate Frida and or to not understand the context behind her situation because she's a single mother under extreme pressure and she essentially cracks under that pressure. So that's what's happened. It's just to say that the back cover blurb sort of just makes out as if she's 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 just been looking at her phone and and the yeah. kid and she hasn't been paying enough attention to her child. No, no, she makes a massive lapse of judgment, which would, in any real sense, bring in child. Uh, protective services in any country, I would think that they would they would at least look in and see what's going on. Not to yeah. the degree that happens in this novel, but it would it would start something. I would have thought. Yes, wrong. I I would I would think so. There's I guess a couple of things to point out there. Potentially in uh, Frida's case, uh, being a middle class upper middle class person. A, an amicable, as far as that goes, co-parenting situation. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it would have landed Frida in as much hot water. But I think the exact same situation for someone who is um, in a lower socioeconomic class, perhaps even living below the poverty line, uh, where there is other elements that want social security or the Department of Child Protection or whatever you're calling it in what country looks into it suddenly goes, oh, but also there are all these other problems here. And that's often what where we see a great inequity of how different parents might be treated depending on their socioeconomic and that's um, And that's the point. And that's the, and that's the why it, this is such an interesting novel because that thing that we you're talking about, which happens in the real world, happens in our world right now, where people of uh, lower class, so-called impoverished, poverty line, whatever, are treated far worse than someone who's of middle, high class, whatever. That 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 mode is put onto onto Frida. She has to experience something that she's not expecting. And what I thought this was going to be was, oh, what if the dystopia is? What if the thing that happens to all the poor people every single day happened to someone who was in an entitled, privileged situation? That's mm-hmm. going to be this novel. And and I thought, well, if that's the novel, meh. But no. And that's why that back cover blurb again is terrible. Yes, that mm-hmm. that is the the opening premise. But once we get to the re- the reform school. And we meet other mothers and see other situations. It just becomes such a – it does become, in a sense, class agnostic. It's just this broader world of situation. And there's still – and I love how within that context, the mothers are all looking, you know, oh, the white mothers are treated better here than the black mothers who are treated, you know. And it's just this constant racial class divide that's happening all at once, which yeah. I found really interesting. It isn't just that's- about middle class. It's not just a middle class horror story. 
is what I'm no, trying to it, say. It does it does become to to a certain extent, I guess, class agnostic, but it is definitely not race agnostic. And all no, the definitely book is, not is a is a commentary on the racialized politics of parenthood. Yes, and, that's you know, true. And, it's, true. and it starts from the beginning. It starts from, you know, when, when Frida is, like Frida's parents are critiqued for how they brought her up and for not showing as, as much emotion as maybe white middle-class parents in America would show. Yes. The majority of, of mothers who are in the, well, it's called a school, but it's a prison. They can't leave. The fences are barbed wire or electrified or something. They have limited privileges which they can lose. It's a prison. It's a prison. It's yeah, not a it's school. a prison. They, they don't, yes. you know. The the only choice they have to leave is is not really a choice because if they if they decide to leave the program or if they do something bad enough to be kicked out of the program, their parental parental rights are terminated immediately and they're put on a registry which seems to function very much like a sex offenders registry, um, which would limit them from doing things. And if they had children in the future, automatically their children would be taken from them because they don't have any parental rights, not over the child or children that they had at the time of whatever incident it was, but any children. They have lost their right to be a parent, which in itself is horrendous. Uh, It it just opens up the whole thing about whether or not people can change and and whether people get to develop, whether you get second or third chances, all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, it is a prison, and overwhelmingly the inmates in this prison are black or or Latinx. Um, They're not... Uh, you know, Frida's the only person who is Asian um, and there are a handful of white mothers, but mostly it is black and, and Latinx people, which yep, again exactly. speaks to how class is bound into that, but only in the sense that race very often determines socioeconomic class. Now, now the, the novel already has a strong Margaret Atwood flavour to it to begin with. It does. It's, it's very much The Handmaid's Tale um, it, it's, a, it's, a chi- it's a child of that genre, okay? So that's, yeah. but again, like Hannah Kent, Jessamine Chan could have just left it at this is a terrible prison like school where they are taught classes who, which are genuinely aimed at improving them as parents, but oh my God. Uh, it, yeah. No, anyway, it's not. Me... It is. It is not. It is not. Well, they're, they're... It, is, it is aimed at punishment and it is aimed at you're, taking you're right. away right. the selfhood of people. You're right. That is what it is not. It is absolutely not aimed at genuinely aimed at making people better mothers and and fathers. Because we should say there's a father school, although very much more lenient, much, much lower bars for those guys to have to jump over. A a social recognition of the fact that fathers aren't seen as uh, a primary parent or as important as a mother, all of which I will say categorically is bullshit. All of which we know is 100% the way society treats mothers and a, a view around parenting that is very much this is the objective way of how to parent there is no subjectivity around parenting yeah these are the clear principles which are sort of this dr spock take that is just hyper oh my god it's it's just it's it's extraordinarily being twisted out of shape completely twisted out mm. of shape um the point i was going to make is that both authors could have kept a certain line but they make an ambitious choice and what Jessamine Chan does, noting that this is a story set tomorrow, but really very close. I mean, the technology, except for one key yeah, area, is identical. But it's identical for the most part, technology-wise. You know, I mean, you wouldn't – if you read the first, before the thing that gets revealed, you wouldn't have thought that this was set 20 or 30 years in the future. It's set, to, it's set tomorrow. Correct. 
except when they start the classes, they bring out these dolls. But they're not dolls. Well, they are. They are dolls. But they are robots or androids as children who, mm-hmm. in fact, the way it's described in the novel, and I should read it out, but I'm not going to because uh, I'm lazy because uh, I'd have to find it, uh, is is that, 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 that Frida actually thinks they've gotten children or orphans from some school. That's how realistic they look. They do not look yeah. like. When, when they're uh, first brought out, all the mothers think they're, they're actual children. Yes. So they, they look, the only way you could distinguish is when you lift up their shirt or whatever on back, they've got a screw where you've got to put the blue goo in to keep them going. Mm. <laughs> Plus also once you once you actually physically touch them, their skin doesn't feel like skin. They yeah, it doesn't feel like, yeah, there are other sticky. things. Sorry, yes, there are other but, tactile. But from, from, a, from a few feet away, you'd go, that's a child. That's yes, a now that technology child. does not exist now, nor will it exist it's tomorrow. Pretty close. Oh, come on. Oh, you've, we've all <laughs> seen the, the, the robots and all that. Oh, come on. No, no. Not to the level here as well where, where, these, no. where these children are close to sentient. I mean, they are sentient, yeah. actually, for yeah. all intents and yeah. purposes. So, no, no, Kirsten, we're not that close. <laughs> not even, not even, no. We're 70 years away from that if, you know, maybe that's, 50. That's Who knows? not but, much in a, in, a, in a, you know, time span. Uh, we will have reached potentially climate change disasters before we're That's at very that level. true. Okay, yeah. so the point I'm making is I read it, I, I laughed. I actually, genuinely, I laughed out loud. I said, oh, come on. <laughs> this is, this is silly. This, really? What is this? And my God, she pulls it off. I don't know how, actually, because, but she does. She does. It is actually extraordinary. I, Kirsten, make words for me, please, because I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know what more to say. Because I, I laughed at just you, my willing suspension of disbelief. You've just shot it. This world, this is not a proper world. This is this is all allegory and blah blah blah. And I should can't. Take, I'm not invested in this. I can't take it seriously because you've introduced this thing. It's the first initial thought I had. Five pages later, I'm going, oh, my God, this is genius. I, I never had that reaction. Um, I think because what, what Chan has done really well is because this, this school for good mothers is not, it's also not something that could exist right now in our world. She's already taken us a couple of steps along a side path. So it's not as though these children are dropped into to, to nowhere. She's, we already know there is, there is stuff that's happened that is already. Can, I, can I disagree with you here? Can I disagree mm-hmm. with you here, please? Because obviously the Roe versus Wade situation that's now come out mm-hmm. hadn't happened when I was reading this, okay? But one thing that I really admired, Chan, to that point, is that I felt that this none of this was too far away. Okay. Oh I no, felt no. That I'm, I'm not it, saying. I'm not saying it's. Yes, it's um, a different. Like I said, it's set tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, it's yep. not happening today. It's not happening now. But it's not a huge jump. It's actually quite incremental. In, in yeah, it, it is in just a step or two. Like it's it's not massive. But, but, the, but the robots, that. the robots are not a step or two. So she's made some minor little changes around yep. child protection, and then introduced a whole other element that is a massive leap forward from a technological point of view, not a society. And that's where yeah. there's a disconnect for me. But, but it, I mean, the establishment of this, this school slash prison is actually a fairly significant step in terms of matter of, of law. Like, it, like it's a year's institutionalisation. Given how poorly the thing is put together, you, can, you feel like it's done as every, a lot of things are done in a rush. 
It, it, of course, it felt, it, but 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 the fact of his existence and what it is able to do for me was enough of a step or two away from here and okay, now so, uh, and okay, this so world tell, to okay. prepare me for the robot children. Yeah, did not do that, and I don't want to belabor the point, and I, and I don't want to make this about Roe versus Wade. Okay, so but I do want to make this point here that if that happens, and and states immediately legislate anti-abortion laws. Part of that may be that you can't go to other states to get an abortion. Which Many means states have it, already legislated them. Yes, they've already like they're already there. Yeah, but, you, but, 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 but even more punitive than what. But you get my point, which yes. is that there might need to be more surveillance. Yeah, and so it's yes. not a, a not a hard step to see that suddenly mothers in or, or soon to be mothers, pregnant women in America in certain states are going to be heavily surveilled to ensure that they don't leave the borders. Is what I'm saying. It could happen. 12 months from now is what I'm saying. And that, yeah. that to me feels very real, very, very of the time. And, th- and I felt that the, 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 the Chan novel was in the same mould. It yeah, literally absolutely. is a, a small couple of small changes to legislation have led to this situation. I didn't expect yeah. the robots, though. The robots, no. for me, were left field. They do not feel part of that. That's, but, but th- they but it's they were genius. left field. They were left field. But all I'm saying is because the book had – flagged itself very organically as not being not being of this world I was prepared to accept other things not of this world it's okay. I, I read one review and I don't know what review it was um I might try to find it later but the, a line really struck struck me where the reviewer said this novel didn't feel speculative so much as inevitable and I went oh yeah that's it it doesn't actually feel spec Vicky it feels like yeah this is going to happen this is just yes. a very small step into the future um but for, okay, for, okay. For the for the for the nerdy men, and they'll mostly be men mm-hmm. who get upset when um, literature, liter- literary authors a- a- put in a genre element, and they go, "Oh, that can't make sense because the technology is a like I have just spent the last ten minutes doing." Okay, what I'm trying to say to that audience, which is probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> Jessamine Chan pulls it off. All right, that's it. That's what yeah. I've been trying to do for the last 10 minutes. I'll stop now. But but also, I guess for me too, the robots, the, I mean, yes, technology-wise, they are, they're not tomorrow. They're several decades in the future, if at all. But they're also, um, in terms of what they do, they are also just a very, very, very small step from the the babies, the, the, the robotic babies that are not sentient and not AI, but that they give to, to school children. Um, often as part of high school coursework, to take home and raise for a week. And these babies monitor and record and they record when they're dropped, they record when they're neglected, they record for how long they cry before the the parent comes. So, it, like, this is already here. Now, it's not done as a punitive thing. If anything, it's done as a way to teach teenagers that being a young parent is not going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not something you want to rush out to do. It's being done as a sort of a disincentive Um you know, to to be more careful, maybe when you're having sex that you use protection because you do not want a baby when you're 15. It is a lot of work. And if you think this doll is hard for a week, imagine never having to give one back. So these robot dolls seem just like a more extravagant, but but a step from from stuff that's already there. There is a Cronenberg quality to them, though. There is. Especially when you have to put the blue goo in them. And that, it just makes it so much more visceral and so much Mm. more... But, yes, I get your point. I do get your point. Yeah. I, I, I know we spent far too long talking about that. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I can't I can't remember the last time I read a book which made me so angry. 
all the way through, pretty much from oh, yeah, from the very beginning. I actually couldn't – at times I couldn't read it. At times I just found I just could not read it, not because it's not great. It's an extraordinarily good book. <sighs> it just but it, it just Yes, you're right. So and, and, and I think it's going to be far harder for people to read now, today. I mean, we, we read it in The Innocence before the leak of the Supreme Court. I think – Mm. It's not that the, not because this is all they're all holistic. These issues, anti-abortion laws, um, are connected to this whole idea of family purity, family quality, having children, bringing them up in a very specific way, and punishing, as you said, mothers for not following the dogma, for not following that dogma, and it's all just yeah. part of that same narrative. And it, it yes, is. It, it is. It is all furious. about pol- policing women. And, yes, and their correct. bodies and their lives. I mean, the, the fact that the school again and again and again punishes its women for doing anything, talking about something, being distracted for doing anything other than spending 24-7 every minute of every day as a mother and that's all you get to be and you don't get to have another life and you shouldn't have a job you know, like a job outside of being a mother and you shouldn't be thinking about yourself ever. The The line that, that they have to repeat, there's, there's two lines, so they kind of have these mantras that they have to say and one is, you know, I'm a bad mother but I'm learning to be good. Okay, that's, you know, not maybe not a great, from a pedagogy point of view, a great way to, um, you know, establish a good learning footing but all right. But the other one is I'm a narcissist and I'm a danger to my child. And a narcissist is defined as, in the book, as doing or thinking or saying anything that is not related to your role as a mother. And that is, I mean, all of the things that happen is goes back to this core belief that that is what a woman who has had a child should be doing. Every minute of every day is about being a mother. And that is goes back to what Frida did at the beginning because she says this, there's this beautiful, awful line where, um, you know, she she sort of says there was a moment when I when I you know when I left the apartment and shut the door that I just felt like such relief. Or it, it, I'd have to look it up, but there's this this thing where it's like it's the first time in a long time where she's she's gotten to be just herself because she hasn't got her daughter with her, so she's not in that moment just a mother and I don't mean just as in like in any derogatory sense I mean you know she's not she's not a mother she is just Frida and of course Chan creates a situation for Frida at the start of the night mm. because it is something that's te- the lapse in judgment is inherently bad we can we can yep. view that it's so she doesn't create this dystopia where although it seems that this is where it's heading and that's exactly what you're saying where just even the slightest distraction is enough to put you in this school and essentially nearly every mother will end up there in some way, fashion or mm. form. But for Frida, it, there was a proper genuine lapse of judgment, but, of course, it's not a focus on how she got there and the pressures from work and the fact that her husband left her and all the things that well, and accumulated. And the fact that her husband was having a, an affair during fair, her pregnancy and all the cumulative stuff that led the to that was born. Yeah, all the cumulative stuff that led to that moment yeah. and that mean, might mean that she actually needs help proper help mm. but no just to say you're a bad mother you can't look after a child plonk you in a school a, a usual 
Easy answer. It's the punitive I, thing, right? It's the punitive correct. thing. It's, it's about punishing people for wrongdoings, whether they're actual wrongdoings or perceived wrongdoings. And it's, it, it, is, it is amazing that when the, when, the, when the mothers get together, they all share each other's wrongdoings and they all start to judge each other. Because yeah. we all can't they, help they but do put it. Put each other on a hierarchy of how bad. Correct. Can, I didn't. I didn't hit my because child, because so let's I'm be honest. I was judging him, and you were too. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. You just. You, you can't help it. Like one of one mother, the, who they really can't stand, uh, locked her kids up in a in a cupboard for a like in, you know, well, like a. It's kind of just like a basement, like a, a yeah yeah a hole under the kitchen or something. And, and it's horrific, and you can't help but judge. Go well, what the fuck? And when you hear the stories. Of, of mothers and fathers who leave their kids in the car while they go and gamble and that. Yep. You can't help but judge, can, can you? But then you but then you wonder, well, but why? What's If the casino wasn't there, well, that doesn't happen, does it? I mean, this is the sort of – you know what I'm saying? It's There are other things that, that are there rather than just to judge and then yeah. to be punitive. Yeah. Uh, I, I think what was really – like a really, really – good choice that Chan made as an author was to have Frida do something that was real, as you say, objectively bad. Yeah, that's really bad. But also five minutes saying that. But also really, really understandable. (laughs) Like really understandable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You get why and you don't think you never I never thought anyway that Frida was a was a horrible person or a bad mother. She did a really bad thing, but you completely understand why she did this thing. In fact, I found myself often tussling in my head back and forth throughout the book. It's like, wish, oh gosh, wish it wasn't that bad. It's like, yeah, it, no, it was. It was really bad. <laughs> it was really just because I just because I can understand it and empathize with it. It doesn't mean it wasn't an objectively bad thing to have done. And Chan makes this deliberate move not to show us Frida before that event, being a good mother. Mm. Because the argument isn't, well, see, she's a good mother except for this one moment. The argument is it doesn't matter what she did. It can be as terrible as terrible. This 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 situation we've created for ourselves is not – what is a good mother is a bullshit thing to begin with. It, that's the yeah. point. I read several reviews about this, and one of the common things that people – and I guess it's an easy word to, to reach for – is to say that what she does is unforgivable. And the thing is it's not. Well, that's not true though. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true on two levels. It's not true because a, we don't get to f- choose whether to forgive or not to forgive as a, uh, as an outsider. That's not our role. Forgiveness Correct. belongs to the people who've been wronged. So we we don't get to say whether we forgive Frida or not. That's not our job. We don't do it. We don't get to do it. Um, but also, secondly, she is forgiven. Her her ex husband, her co her co partner in parenting, does forgive her. Right? They want her to have her daughter back, like him and his new wife. They 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 argue at the end with, because spoiler, she doesn't get her daughter back. But they argue in for the judge that they want. There her is horrified her by this. I have to say, if exactly. I have one quibble, if I have one quibble with this novel, it is the depiction of the the new the, the new wife, Susanna. Yeah, Susanna. <laughs> she's new agey. She's anti vax i suppose she's anti-medication da, 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 da. and and frida is horrified by all this and and the fact that she's losing her daughter to this new woman i get all that but i i felt that there was a, that that it was a bit too caricaturish and it didn't need to be i, I think it's this whole novel is horrific without without having to make the, I, although to be fair Susanna is not an evil horrible person she's just got a different no. in the world but in the eyes of frida it's it's elevated and it would have been anyway 
I think this is part of what the book is doing though because the, the book is talking about this social idea that we, and when I say we, that's a very generic, you know, we in the West, we in, you know, certain countries, this this social idea we have of what a good mother is and Susanna is that mother. And what the book is showing you is that that's not a good mother either, not, not in the sense of, you know, the best mother, you know, like a, a mother like that who presents in that way, who who has all that concern and consideration can also be doing harm to a child. Yep, yep, that's you know, right. Yep. It, no, fair enough. She wasn't this demonised character. And I also took very much with a grain of salt her depiction because it is entirely is, filtered through yeah. Frida. Um, and, you know, and we see that actually Susanna is a really good parent to Harriet. She is. She's a good parent to this little girl. Yeah, Harriet's living. Harriet's having. Uh, yeah. The issue here is that she's living a good life with her with her father and her, her stepmom. There, there's yeah. no that. The, the horror is that when when she when Frida gets the off rare opportunity to speak to Harriet, mm. Harriet doesn't want to have much. She's two years old. And this and this, this is, is the thing I think which. Well, one of the things is, as I said, I just I was just angry. I, yeah. I would finish reading the book for the evening, and I'd put it down, and I would lie there in bed stewing, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get to sleep through the anger. Um, but one of the other things that just it just made me so angry um, was the the hypocrisy of of this this institution and all of the um, architecture around it to to be saying oh we, we're doing this because it's in the best interest of the child and it is not Harriet is so distressed and and so um, you know I'm not a psychologist but I would say irrevocably damaged by the fact that she's had her mother who she loved who was not regularly abusive or neglectful um, of her daughter, ripped away from her with no explanation and no ongoing contact because, you know, they get these video call messages every week, except they don't because if they do the slightest thing wrong or even if they don't do the slightest thing wrong, if they just don't perform as well as the school expects them to, they lose their video phone privileges. So the idea that this is about the best interest of the child when you are damaging that child through what you're doing to that child's mother and you're not giving that child the ongoing contact with her parent and you're not easing that child through this process. It is the most, it is so hypocritical and it is the same as, and we keep coming back to this, but it's the same thing as the, you know, the reproductive rights thing, you know, to say that you care so much about children that you are going to prevent any person who gets pregnant from getting a termination but then to care nothing about what happens to that child after it's born and to not equip parents who didn't want to be a parent with the resources to parent is just the most hypocrisy. You know, there are safe haven so laws now, Kirsten. There are safe haven laws now. You can have your child in a back alley, wrap them up in a cloth and stick them at a fire station. It's perfectly okay, Kirsten. Yeah. I and mean, do you care you're, about you're, that child? Do you care about that child who goes into foster care for however many years? And, well, and that's what happens to a bunch life? of the children in this novel. They exactly. go to foster care, yeah. one runs so away. Um, yeah. It's it's not actually about, again, it's not about the best interests of the child. It's about controlling women. That's what it's about, using this thing as a flag to say, hey, but we're doing it for really good reasons. We're doing it for the best interests of the children. We're doing it so, you know, um, fetuses aren't aborted. We, 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 no, it's not about that at all. You know, because if it was about that, just actually, if it was about that, um, what you do is every uh, 
every boy who gets to reproductive age gets a vasectomy because those procedures, really, really simple, really straightforward, day surgery, no general anesthetic, really, really 100% reversible pretty much in almost every case. So that's what you do. And then when those boys grow up and are men and actually want to have a child and, you know, are in a relationship perhaps where they can have a child, they get they get to have that reversed. That's what you do. No more unwanted babies. You are done. Will they do that? No, because it's about controlling women. And now I'll get off my soapbox. Well, I think that, I, I, look, to be honest, I don't think I, I have much more to say um, on this. I think you've said it all, basically. It is, it is such a good book. And the other thing, we've talked a lot about, I guess, the subject matter of the book and so on. But it's so beautifully written. The voice of the book is is it's not. Frida you know, is a terrific devotion. character. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not devotion, um, which is really lyrical and poetic and and yeah. gorgeous turns of phrases and all of that. But the 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 voice of the book it's not a first person novel, but it's third person direct, and it's so direct. Um, I had to go back and check whether it was written in third or first person a few weeks after I'd read it uh, because I couldn't remember because it is 100% Frida's point of view. Third person, which gives it this beautiful slight step back from Frida uh, because it's uh, it's written about her, not by her, as Devotion was written by Hannah, but it is it is 100% her point of view. It is as, as third person direct as you could possibly get. And so the voice is remarkable. And Frida is, she's not the easiest character to to like as a person. Um, she is emotionally distant from just about everyone except Harriet, her daughter, who she adores unequivocally and misses viscerally. And, she, and she's constantly berating herself for what she's done. She's, I mean, that's the thing. She doesn't, she offers an explanation but she doesn't ever try to justify what she did. No, no, and yeah. clearly does not need a school to tell her that she's done the wrong. And the voice of the book is just perfect. It's very simple. It's very clear. As I said, it's not flowery or poetic, but it it is it is Frida, and you get this sense of who she is as a person through the narrative. In that way, it's it's just beautifully, perfectly written. It's 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 pitch perfect. It's the most wonderful, wonderful narrative voice. So that, that I think we well, let's end on that. Um, yes, let par- us. Partly, partly because it was a terrific thing that you just said, and also because we've just spent the last ten minutes stuffing around with headphones, and we've completely <laughs> lost our train ev- of thought. Lost our train of thought, and it's my fault because my headphones ran out. My headphones ran out of batteries. So, alrighty. So, what is happening next month, Ian? Uh, we're going to talk about more books, oh, and wow. I may actually use the cable next month too on the headphones. So next episode, we'll be talking about Manhunt, which I chose, by Gretchen Felker-Martin, and and Then I Woke Up, by Malcolm Devlin, which you chose. Yeah, which I believe is only a novella, so nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> these two books were long, Kirsten, and I blame me and you for that. that well, I mean, I don't know. I've got devotion in... Um, I like a paper copy, and it's it's just a standard kind of a length for a- anything over twenty five thousand words at the moment is killing. Oh, me. okay, right. right, okay. So maybe maybe in August we should look for novellas or something and have a couple of novella specials. Yeah, I, I actually <laughs> fully support that. Or just find some really short literary novels that are called novels, but are actually you know novellas. So on that note. If, sorry if I seem a bit distracted. I'm just trying to figure things out. But <laughs> it's been a great end to the podcast. Please send feedback by commenting at the website writer and critic at dot dot com 
send an email, whatever. You, you know already. Send an email to writer and shut up. <laughs> send an email to writer and critic at gmail.com. You can follow us at writer and critic on Twitter and you can sponsor us on Patreon if you want to, if you can. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't have more to say. And if I say any more, I'm scared that <laughs> these headphones will melt on my ears and that would be horrible. I mean, it'd be hilarious for you, clearly, because you're just laughing at me. But uh, yeah. it would be terrible for me because the because it would just all melt into my ear canals and that's disgusting. I don't know why it would melt just because you've got a cable charging on it. Like that shouldn't have any difference. I think you're being paranoid. I don't trust this, I don't trust this cable. You're not very good with tech. Shush, I am. This whole house runs on my tech. The last 20 minutes would say otherwise. <laughs> bye, Kirsten. Bye, everyone. Bye, Ian. I still can't buy this book, by the way. I actually can't find a place to buy this fucking book. I bought it off Amazon Australia. Just go buy it. That's exactly what I just did literally a minute ago. No, I'm angry.